welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. On today's Sojourner Truth weekly show, the latest on the Israeli-Palestinian war. Let us go now to a roundup from Reuters. Let's go to that clip right now. UN leaders demanded a humanitarian ceasefire on Monday as Israel faced mounting pressure over civilian deaths nearly a month into the Gaza war. More than 10,000 people have now been killed in Israeli strikes, according to the health ministry in the Hamas-run Gaza Strip. More than 4,000 of them are said to be children. Yet more wounded youngsters were shown being carried into the Ashifa hospital in Gaza City. In this video obtained by Reuters, they were reportedly injured in a strike on the Ashanti refugee camp. But Israel, which says its forces now encircle Gaza City, is rebuffing mounting international pressure for a ceasefire. It insists hostages taken by Hamas militants during their rampage in southern Israel on October 7, which killed 1,400 people, should be released first. 18 heads of UN agencies issued a statement saying the war must stop. This was Secretary General Antonio Guterres. The protection of civilians must be paramount. I'm deeply concerned about clear violations of international humanitarian law that we are witnessing. And the unfolding catastrophe makes the need for a humanitarian ceasefire more urgent with every passing hour. This man, who gave his name only as Mohammed, describes surviving a strike on Deir al-Bala. They pulled us from the rubble, he says. The children, girls and boys were martyred. A Reuters journalist in Gaza said an overnight bombardment by air, ground and sea was one of the most intense since Israel began its offensive. Our roundup uh, from Reuters and our guests today include a Sojourner Truth regular, Jackie Goldberg, uh, from our weekly roundtable, which will be back very soon. Uh, also, we want to welcome our guest, Janet Abu Ilyas, who is a founding board member of Women for Weapons Trade Transparency and a research fellow at the Center. Center for International Policy. Her research focuses on international arms trade policy, U.S. foreign policy and sustainability initiatives. Our other guest today, Lillian uh, Molden, they are a founding board member of Women for Weapons Trade Transparency and a research fellow at the Center for International Policy. Let us go now directly to our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel will have overall security responsibility in Gaza for an indefinite period during an interview with ABC News late Monday. Who should govern Gaza when this is over? Those who don't want to uh, continue the way of Hamas, it certainly is not, uh, uh, I think Israel will, for uh, uh, an indefinite period, will have the overall uh, security responsibility because we've seen what happens when we don't have it. When we don't have that security responsibility, what we have is the eruption of uh, Hamas terror on a scale that we couldn't imagine. 
but he ruled out any general ceasefire without the release of more than 240 captives seized by Hamas in its October 7th raid into Israel. He also expressed openness to little pauses in the current fighting to facilitate the release of hostages. This comes as Israeli forces continue attacks on hospitals in Gaza, this time striking the Al-Shifa Hospital and a children's hospital at the Nasser Medical Complex, which has four hospitals. At least eight Palestinians were killed in the attacks and dozens were wounded, according to Palestine's health ministry. The death toll in Gaza has surpassed 10,300. Some 40 percent are children. The U.N. Security Council failed again Monday to agree on a resolution for a ceasefire on the months-long Israel-Hamas war because of U.S. opposition. At the two hours of closed-door meetings, the U.S. called for humanitarian pauses. Many other council members were demanding a humanitarian ceasefire to deliver desperately needed aid and prevent more civilian deaths. Here's China and France's representatives to the United Nations Security Council, Zhang Zhen and Nicolas de Riviere. We call for an urgent humanitarian ceasefire. This is desperately needed to enable full, rapid, safe, and unhindered humanitarian access. Given the gravity of the humanitarian situation and the scale of the needs of the Gaza population, France calls for an immediate humanitarian truth. This truth must be durable and sustained. It is absolutely necessary and must lead to a ceasefire. China, which holds the Security Council presidency this month, said it will focus on efforts towards a ceasefire in Gaza. In the U.S., former President Donald Trump took the stand Monday in a New York Manhattan courtroom to defend his wealth and businesses, arguing with the judge overseeing his civil fraud trial and denouncing the case as a political witch hunt. The lawsuit accuses Trump of dramatically inflating his net worth. Edwin Vieira reports. New York Attorney General Letitia James says the case against former President Donald Donald Trump in his civil trial stands in spite of the outrage he voiced in his testimony. While on the stand, the former president attacked James and court officials as Democrats and biased Trump haters. But James says none of that refutes the evidence. The only thing that matters are the facts and the numbers. And numbers, my friends, don't lie. Judge Arthur Ngoron has already ruled against the Trump Organization in a summary judgment. He found the former president and his family routinely defrauded banks and insurers by exaggerating his net worth. Trump is lashing back against the ruling with typical rage. This is a case that should have never been brought. It's a case that should be dismissed immediately. The fraud was on behalf of the court. The court was uh, the fraudster in this case. Though those charges don't carry prison time, they could serve as a death sentence for Trump's businesses. Still, he has massive support in the GOP primary, and a New York Times poll even found he's slightly ahead of President Joe Biden in six battleground states. I'm Edwin J. Vieira for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Polls have begun to open in a few states for off-year elections that could give hints of voter sentiment ahead of next year's presidential contest. In Kentucky, Democratic Governor Andy Beshear is hoping that his support of abortion rights will persuade voters in his Republican-leaning state to look past their skepticism of the National Party and give him another term in office. Voters in Ohio will decide whether to pass a constitutional amendment guaranteeing an individual right to abortion. In Virginia, state legislative elections will determine 
determine whether Republicans control full state government or whether Democrats can continue serving as a bulwark against Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin's agenda. In New York, an exonerated member of the Central Park Five is poised to win a seat on the city council. The Supreme Court is considering a challenge to a federal law that prohibits people from having guns if they're under a domestic violence gun restraining order today. That's a court order to stay away from a spouse partner or other family member. The federal appeals court in New Orleans struck down that law following the Supreme Court's Bruin decision in 2022 that expanded gun rights and also changed the way courts are supposed to evaluate restrictions on firearms. Monday, California Attorney General Rob Bonta released figures he says shows California's domestic gun violence restraining orders work and blasted the lawsuit filed by a Texas man. I can't fathom how this is something we are debating. Of course, folks who have demonstrated a tendency to violence, who've been violent in the past, should not own guns. It's common sense. But that's not what this is about. This is really about the gun lobby trying to protect uh, what it holds so sacred, never-ending profits. California recorded a 63% reduction in per capita rates of domestic violence-related calls for law enforcement assistance involving a firearm between the years 1993 to 2019. I'm Christina Onestead, reporting for Pacifica Radio. And those were our news headlines. And before we welcome our first guest, Jackie Goldberg, let us put what is happening now that has created protests just around the world in some context. Uh, the And this context is as reported by the Washington Post. And the first clip we're going to hear explains a bit about the Nakba. Let us go to that clip now. Gaza is becoming a graveyard for children. UN leaders demanded a humanitarian ceasefire on Monday as Israel faced mounting pressure over civilian deaths nearly a month into the Gaza war. More than 10,000 people have now been killed in Israeli strikes, according to the health ministry in the Hamas-run Gaza Strip. More than 4,000 of them are said to be children. Yet more wounded youngsters were shown being carried into the Ashifa hospital in Gaza City. In this video obtained by Reuters, they were reportedly injured in a strike on the Ashati refugee camp. But Israel, which says its forces now encircle Gaza City, is rebuffing mounting international pressure for a ceasefire. It insists hostages taken by Hamas militants during their rampage in southern Israel on October 7, which killed 1,400 people, should be released first. 18 heads of UN agencies issued a statement saying the war must stop. This was Secretary General Antonio Guterres. The protection of civilians must be paramount. I'm deeply concerned about clear violations of international humanitarian law that we are witnessing. And the unfolding catastrophe makes the need for a humanitarian ceasefire more urgent with every passing hour. This man, who gave his name only as Mohammed, describes surviving a strike on Deir al-Bala. They pulled us from the rubble, he says. But children, girls and boys were martyred. A Reuters journalist in Gaza said an overnight bombardment by air, ground and sea was one of the most intense since Israel began its offensive. 
On average, a child is killed and two are injured every 10 minutes in Gaza, according to the UN Relief Agency for Palestinians. Its shelters in the south of the Strip are too crowded to take new arrivals, so displaced people are sleeping in the streets. In Israel, anger with politicians over the hostages taken by Hamas has grown in the past month. Now, 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 chant activists outside the Israeli Knesset or parliament in Jerusalem, demanding their return. They include David Goldstein from the Kafar Azar community, ransacked by the Hamas fighters. My feeling that they're not doing uh, enough. Probably they are doing more politics than uh, any effort to, to bring back the kidnaps. And that uh, was uh, a bit of history, <laughs> according to the Washington Post. I would now like to welcome our first guest uh, for this one-hour special, Jackie Goldberg, who is a governing board member for the Los Angeles School Board District 5. She's a former member of the California State Assembly. Jackie Goldberg had previously served as a member of the Los Angeles City Council. Before being elected to the council, she served on and was later president of the Los Angeles School Board. Jackie Goldberg, good to have you back even under these difficult circumstances. We have missed your whole Welcome, Jackie. Thank you very much for inviting me, and I look forward to meeting with my other two colleagues uh, on our our weekly journal through all of this. Absolutely. So, Jackie Goldberg, I'm now looking at a New York Times report that says that a military spokesperson for Israel said that they completed their encirclement of uh, Gaza, that Gaza City is cut off from the rest of Gaza. So the area is basically uh, split in two. Uh, Of course, we know as of the time that we're speaking, the death toll in Gaza uh, over uh, 10,000. I understand about 40% of those are children. And then, of course, the 1,400 Israelis that were killed in the first attack uh, by Hamas. And I understand from reports that uh, thus far, 340 Israeli soldiers have been killed. But Jackie Goldberg, we have been following this story and talking about um, uh, Palestine-Israel, you know, on the weekly roundtable for such a long time. I don't know that any of us would have uh, seen what is happening now. Just first off, is there anything you want to correct in that clip about the Nakba, uh, first off? And secondly, let us just start with your um, thoughts on the present situation, Jackie Goldberg. Uh, No, I don't have anything on the Nakba. That's exactly what I believe is correct. I don't think it's quite detailed enough into what it meant for all of those people who had to leave. Uh, But other than that, I think it was pretty accurate. Uh, I have been horrified by this entire thing, starting with October 7th. I do not support the killing of civilians on any side for any reason. I'm not 
particularly in favor of war between armies, but at least they are armies. They are military. They both sides have weapons. Everybody shoots at each other. But the killing of civilians in Israel or the killing of civilians in Gaza or the West Bank, in my opinion, is always wrong and it is always immoral. And it should be called that by virtually everybody. I don't think there is a double standard where it's okay for one side to kill civilians, but not the other. It's not okay for anybody to kill civilians. It's bad enough to have armies killing each other. And that is my view as an old peacenik. I'd rather not have a war at all. But if you're going to have a war, this business of using 2,000 pound bombs on on, on uh, camps that are refugee camps, that's immoral. That's immoral. A 2,000 pound bomb leaves nothing. It's sort of the moral equivalent of trying to shoot a deer with a, with a uh, AR-15 rifle. There's nothing left. There's nothing left of the deer but bones, and there's nothing left of people after you use 2,000 bombs. And why? Why would anyone, anyone ever bomb a refugee camp? So this is a miserable, miserable situation in which you have a maniac called Netanyahu who refuses to believe that he can do anything he wants and refuses to believe that there's anything that can stop him from changing the court system in his country to saying that there will be be no pause for humanitarian relief. Are you kidding me? That when there's no food or water and when, by the way, after sending everybody to the South, you're bombing the South as well. So this is just horrifying and horrific. And anybody who, in my opinion, doesn't see the horror of this on all sides is missing a lot of their morality. Right now, Jackie Goldberg, um, you have Secretary of State uh, Blinken making it clear that and speaking for the Biden administration, that the U.S. is calling for a humanitarian pause. They're not calling for a ceasefire. I have seen so many protests in New York City. I was in Washington, D.C. Actually, when you had Jewish groups, Jewish Voices for Peace and others uh, calling for and demanding a ceasefire. Um, just just your thoughts on that, because well, this business about a humanitarian pause, but not a, a ceasefire. Jackie well, Gilbert. I support a full ceasefire. But mm-hmm. if you can't get that, let's at least let some water, some fuel, some food, some medical supplies into at least the part that is less being bombed than the north. And that's the south. So I, I support both. I support both a pause for humanitarian relief and a and absolutely I support support a ceasefire. I mean, really, what are you going to do? Literally just destroy everything north of that south of uh, of of Gaza City is that it everything's to be flattened everybody's to be killed it doesn't matter we're just going to keep firing and shooting and killing and by the way whatever happened to the commitment to save the hostages doesn't seem to be any commitment on Israel's part to save the hostages when they bomb areas that could certainly include hostages as well so this is just horrific yes there should be a ceasefire absolutely will it happen no absolutely Netanyahu who is crazy and he'll never let that happen. But he might, with enough pressure, at least allow some food and shelter uh, uh, materials to shelter and some water and some some uh, medical supplies into the South. And I, I support both of those goals. Not yeah, one and- or the other, but both. 
Yeah, Jackie Goldberg, I was having a, 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 a difficult conversation with my daughter who is quite upset, obviously. I mean, she was like, Mom, our generation grew up with never again for anyone. And I feel as though I am watching this again. You know, some people are calling it an ethnic cleansing. Others are saying there's a genocide going on. Whatever it is, it is horrific. As you say, Pacifica, by the way, Pacifica Network stands for peace. So the network began as a network against war. Right. So and we're all for peace. Um, The. There, there have been a lot of questions about uh, a double standard in terms of the value put on human life. Uh, you have 1,400 Israelis killed. Uh, given the size of Israel, many people are referring to it as Israel's uh, 9-11. Um, we could are horrified by civilians, children, women, older people, et cetera, you know, being killed. But for many people, it wasn't really a surprise that um, something busted out, something happened, because we know very well that Palestinians have been living in what a lot of people call an enclosed prison uh, for quite some time. Children are traumatized high poverty, uh, poverty rates, you know, all the atrocities, Jackie, that we have talked about on the air uh, for so many years. So it's unfortunate, but no surprise that at some point uh, people kind of bust out and that level of of violence uh, bust out. But we have on the one hand, 1,400 Israelis uh, dead, horrific. Right. Any loss of human life. And now you have something like over uh, 10,000 Palestinians, 40 percent of whom are children was the last count that I heard. So where where does this stop? I mean, just in terms of the value of, of human life, how many Palestinians have to die? Right. As a result of that uh, attack on, on, uh, you know, on October 7th. And many people are saying that it does seem as though there is, you know, a higher standard put on the life, you know, on human life when you contrast what's happening with Israel and what's happening with Palestine. Any thoughts on that, Jackie? Well, you know, that that's not news. That's not news. I mean. The the Israelis themselves put a higher value on is Jewish lives than on Palestinian lives. So this is not news. This has been there forever. And it's not true in all parts of Israel. Uh, I support several groups of Israeli and Palestinians that have put together schools to go together and are working together to integrate the two together. But really, ultimately, none of this is ever going to be solved until there is a Palestinian state. And the United States States, in my opinion, must say to Israel, if you want our continued support, we are committed to doing that. But you cannot any longer say we're not going to discuss a two state solution. That's not okay. We're not going to permit that. That's not okay. You have an obligation. You have an obligation, both moral and political, to make sure that there's an, uh, uh, a path to peace. And there's only one path to peace, only one. And that's with a Palestinian state, with all of its rights and authority of any Palestinian state, of any state in the area. 
And this whole business of all this Adam stuff and trying to do stuff with the Arab nations that doesn't include a discussion of the Palestinian state is not going to help. The multiple and enormous death toll going on on the Gaza Strip. And now, of course, we know in the West Bank as well by those right, far right wing nationalist, Jewish nationalist, white nationalist settlers who are attacking people in their homes in the part of the area that is known as Palestinian land. As long as that goes on, all they're creating is another Hamas. They're creating another group of people who have grievances so deep that it will be impossible for another generation to make peace more likely. So this has got to stop. There has to be continuous discussion by the United States and all of the Arabs around Israel and what should be Palestine. They have got to engage in requiring requiring that no matter what happens in this war, this devastation, this perhaps genocidal war, that whatever happens, that out of it comes a resolve that there will not be another decade and with a, without a two-state solution. Other than that, there will only be grief and violence and death and death of civilians and no peace and no stability. And, you know, Jackie, your mom, mama, mom, just for moms and, and just anybody really, you know, believing in, in humanity and uh, justice, our hearts, of course, go out to all you know, all of the uh, Palestinians who have been impacted. Obviously, you have Israelis also uh, grieving for what happened. But some people are saying that with the numbers of Palestinian children who are being killed, there's a worry that an entire generation is being lost. I mean, it's just... The, the emotion is overwhelming, Jackie, right. to, yeah. to think about what people are, are facing right now and the trauma, you know, of those of those children. I know, Jackie, you're in a tight schedule. You, you have to go. But just give us some uh, final thoughts on that. And also the 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 people who are saying if you come out and you stand with Palestinians, you say Palestinians have a right, right, have rights that are being violated, that then you are being accused of being, you know, the old trope, right? You're you're anti-Semitic and, you know, you basically need to keep your mouth shut. And clearly a lot of people are not doing that. And in Europe, where the protests have been massive, where in France and also in the UK, there was an attempt to criminalize our protests to say, if you come out, and support and you wave a Palestinian flag or you're standing with that, that is illegal. And clearly tens and tens of thousands of people said, no way, we're going to ignore you. But just your final thoughts on, on all this, Jackie. Well, I, I think that the massive level of killing will never, ever be forgotten and not just by Palestinians, but by the world. You know, Israel exists largely through the good thoughts of people who express concern and support for a Jewish state because of the genocidal behavior of Germany. And also, of course, before that, in the late 
1890s and the early 1900s, there was genocidal pogroms in Russia and in the Baltic states. So it's not like there isn't a reason for people who are Jewish to say we need a safe place to be. If you understand that, how can you not understand that the Palestinians have the same goal? That's the part I've never understood. I've been called an anti-Semite for years, for years, yet my son holds dual citizenship with Israel, has lived there on two different occasions. So it isn't that I don't support Israel's right to exist, but it doesn't have a right to exist in a way that harms people who have the same goals and aspirations that those who survived the pogroms and the Holocaust have, which is to have a place that is safe that they can count on and a place in which they can live in peace and raise their families. That is a goal for all people. And the Palestinians should absolutely have the entire world now saying that this has to happen. If they're going to be disgusting, horrific events, which kill young Jewish people at a concert or kill babies in a kibbutz in their bed and kill children in, by the thousands in the Gaza Strip, if that's to go on at a minimum, the entire world needs to rise up and say, "At the stop this now, stop this now, stop this now, and at the end of this or in the middle of this or even while it's going on, we are going to pursue a Palestinian state and a two-state solution. There is no other way. Otherwise, this is not, even when this ends, it's not the end. Okay, Jackie Goldberg, thank you for taking the time to join us. And we're going to be continuing this discussion with you. Jackie Goldberg, uh, be well and safe. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. All righty. We are going to uh, take a short station break. And when we return, we're going to continue this in-depth uh, coverage of the Israeli-Palestinian war. And our guests coming up, Janet Abu Ilyas and Lillian Molden. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. Two, one, two, three, four.
Okay. And uh, we just heard the late, great John Lennon making a plea for just give peace a chance. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And this is a one hour special on the Israel-Palestine war. And if you've missed any part of this hour from 10 this morning for 90 days after that, just go to kpfk.org, scroll down to archives, click on Sojourner Truth. You'll be able to hear the show in its entirety and you can subscribe for a free podcast. You could check out our Facebook page um, where we hope we'll be able to link uh, today's uh, special on it. And we're also heard nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And today we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Detroit, Michigan, that great city of Detroit, Michigan. And internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Scotland, where apparently there have been massive uh, protests um, calling for a ceasefire and in support of the Palestinians uh, going on in Scotland. But again, this is Margaret Prescott. You are listening to KPFK 90.7 FM. And uh, we also want to welcome all of the other Pacifica flagship stations and affiliate stations that carry Sojourner Truth. Uh, Before we welcome our two guests now, I mentioned in the first part of the show that massive protests have been going on across the United States, uh, in, in many cases even larger in Europe. You know, public squares are being taken over, Trafalgar Square, tube stations being shut down, New York City. I don't know how many uh, protests have been happening there. Massive protests happening in in France, in The Hague and other parts of of the Netherlands, um, black organizations in the United States, Black Lives Matter and uh, Blacks for Palestine putting out uh, support statements. My home island of, of Barbados. There have been um, in the Caribbean, there have been statements coming from the Caribbean and everyone saying cease fire now. This has got to end. But let us go now to hear a bit of a protest that took place uh, this past Saturday in Washington, D.C. Let's go to that clip now. This is from The Washington Post. We came from Chicago to support our people of Palestine to ask our government in America to stop the aid to Israel. What we need is our government to understand that they must, we must do everything that we can do to, to cease fire now. I am in solidarity with the Palestinians. And I think what's happening right now is just shameful because the United States really is complicit. And I think that's the worst part. I feel I'm to blame because we are funding Israel and they couldn't be doing this without our support and funding. Proud to be Palestinian, and that's why that is why I'm here today. For this reason, is for fighting for our humanity and fighting for what we truly believe in. But we're trying to get people, the world, to truly see us for our humanity. When it's 2023, we're living in a present day reality where we should not be having the fight for rights of humanity and making sure that we're seen as humans. I don't understand why our government keeps funding 
funding Israel's so-called self-defense. And when I contacted my Virginia senator, their responses, they while they mentioned the lives of Israeli lives that were lost, which do matter, 1,400 lives, they did not say one word about the Palestinian, Palestinian lives, the children that are dying. <laughs> And they're dying not just from the bullets and the bombing, but they're also dying from starvation and lack of water. I think that is just, I don't want that on my conscience. President Biden, you must stop this war on Gaza. Ceasefire now. All righty. And um, that was Washington, D.C., just this past Saturday. Tens and tens of thousands. We haven't heard uh, uh, reports on the count of people, but certainly looking at those numbers, massive protests, not only in Washington, D.C., but fundamentally around the world, New Zealand, Australia, I mean, just about every uh, country one could imagine. Uh, I'd now like to welcome uh, two guests. I'd like to welcome Lillian Muldin, who is a founding member of Women for Weapons Trade Transparency and a research fellow at the Center for International Policy. Her work focuses on political strategy and legislative and grassroots advocacy. Lillian brings expertise and knowledge across a wide range of thematic issues and governance levels, including federal, state, and local. In her work, Lillian hopes to help enact policies that will prioritize holistic human well-being over all else and that will demilitarize the institutional fabrics of the United States. Lillian, welcome. Thank you so much, Margaret. Okay, I'd like to also welcome uh, Janet Abu Elias, a founding board member of Women for Weapons Trade Transparency and a research fellow at the Center for International Policy. Her research focuses on international arms trade policy, U.S. foreign policy and sustainability initiatives or academic background centers on international security, Middle Eastern politics, and the intersection of gender and conflict. She is passionate about creating a world where people's safety and security are central to arms trade policies and sustainable corporate practices become the standard. That's quite a tall order there, Janet. Welcome. Thank you for having us, Margaret. Okay, so uh, Lillian, let's start with you. You uh, wrote a piece that uh, hopefully all of our listeners will have a chance to uh, read. White House requests unprecedented loophole that would obscure arms sales to Israel. But before just even getting into the details of that, the unprecedented uh, aspects of it, give our listeners a sense of the amount of aid that does go to Israel on a regular basis and how that has now increased given this war. Lillian. Absolutely. So um, typically every year uh, the United States signs um We have a signed memorandum of understanding with Israel, the government of Israel, and um, we send 3.3 around billion dollars to Israel every year already. Um, And in this supplemental um, appropriations bill, 
that was introduced by the White House um, for $100 billion additional dollars in security assistance funding to various countries, including Israel and Ukraine. Um, Biden is, is asking Congress for an additional um, $3.5 billion in foreign military financing. And so that is essentially a blank check for Israel to um, purchase arms from the United States, munition. Um, sometimes it includes military training. Um, so, you know, that it essentially is double what we give Israel every year um, in response to this most recent conflict. Yeah. And uh, Janet, as it stands now, Israel is, I think, the largest recipient of uh, U.S. aid, uh, generally, including uh, military military aid. And you have, on the one hand, uh, the Biden administration kind of pivoting a bit at initially giving a, a clear green head, a green light, basically, for the, the level of attacks that we're seeing now that some are calling a genocide side happening in Gaza, uh, you know, and now to say, well, maybe pull that back a little bit if we need a humanitarian corridor, but not a ceasefire. So there's that kind of rhetoric on the one hand. And on the other hand, you've got billions of dollars that are basically going in to support this effort. Um, just your thoughts, Janet. Absolutely. So you're absolutely right. Israel is the largest cumulative recipient of U.S. foreign assistance since World War II. And that is totaling to about $158 billion, uh, not not adjusted for inflation. Um, So this is definitely something to consider as uh, the United States sends our aid um, and uh, of course our uh, people's tax dollars here in the U.S. that people have a right to know uh, what it is being used for and that it is being used for absolutely defense only and not to uh, harm civilians or violate international humanitarian law or anything else like that, especially at a time when the tensions are especially heightened. And there's been um, right now over 10,000 civilian deaths in Gaza, as well as uh, civilian deaths in Israel as well. So um, that's definitely important to consider. Yeah. And, and Lillian, I mean, when you, you contrast, I mean, Pacifica stands for peace where we're all for peace. When you contrast just in sheer numbers, given the size of, of, uh, Palestine, Palestine is, I mean, I'm from Barbados. We're a very small Island, a 14 by 21 miles, something like 166 square miles miles, something like that. And Gaza, and we have a population of 250,000. Gaza, similar in size with millions of people there and everybody now basically being um, bombarded. So on the one hand, you have the U.S. saying, well, we're concerned about civilian deaths, but we got to follow the money, which doesn't seem to be happening that much. I mean, when you look at, at members of Congress, you know, you can't on the one hand saying this has to stop. And on the other hand, you keep sending money to uh, support it. Lillian? Absolutely. Um, there, there's a lot of hypocrisy in Congress, as I think a lot of folks know. Um, you know, we 
and the, the struggle, too, is right getting a, a critical mass of um, congressional officials to then pressure the Biden administration to call for a ceasefire. Um, and since this package is coming out of the White House, of course, it's um, it's not in their interest to call for a ceasefire, to call for humanitarian assistance, to um, to stop uh, shipping arms to Israel, um, you know, as you might expect, the main calls for a ceasefire have come out of the Progressive Caucus. Um, Representative Cory Bush introduced a resolution um, that many other Progressive Caucus members signed on to, and our organization has been, you know, attempting to get support for. Um, really, you know, thankful for those efforts. But, um, you know, the history of U.S. support for Israel is is so. Um, deeply entrenched in, uh, in in the fabric of our country that it is difficult to get support for um, even just, you know, a, a ceasefire and stopping the, the slaughter of of civilians and children. Um, so it, it's an uphill battle. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Lillian, in that clip, uh, you know, was very moving to hear a protester say, I feel as though I have blood on my hands. And there are so many people who are sitting on their hands and say, well, the war is over there. This has been an ongoing conflict, nothing to do with me. Uh, but aren't we all complicit in this, given, as you're saying, taxpayer dollars that are uh, supporting this effort? And also tell us a bit more what you mean by this loophole, unprecedented loophole that uh, basically would kind of hide or obscure the sale of arms, Lillian. Right. Yeah, I absolutely think um, we're all complicit, um, you know, if, even just as, um, you know, occupants of, of the so-called United States, um, you know, folks are complicit in that as well. And that previous genocide. Um, and yes, our taxpayer dollars do um, so many of them go to to funding exported genocide as well. Um, in regards to the loophole. Uh, so essentially in this. Um, additional $100 billion package from the White House um, for that $3.5 billion for Israel. There uh, is a provision that would completely uh, grant the executive branch authority to waive any sort of congressional notification um, of when this money is being used to purchase um, defense articles, services, uh, weapons, ammunition, et cetera, from Israel. And so typically kind of the process is... Um, that the Department of State handles uh, these arms transfers and arms sales and co uh, Congress is subsequently notified. Um, and that provides their ability to uh, enact a joint resolution of disapproval. Um, if they are going to oppose the arms sale, it allows them to scrutinize, um, to ask questions. Um, and it also allows the public to uh, to do such because their uh, the notifications are posted on the Defense Security cooperation agency website. And so this waiver is an unprecedented uh, way that the executive branch is completely obliterating congressional oversight um, and public scrutiny of anything that's purchased with this $3.5 billion. 
Wow. Um, scary stuff there. Um, Lillian, I'd like to remind our audience, you are listening to Sojourner Truth. This is your host, Margaret Prescott, and we are doing a one-hour special on the Israel-Palestine war underway right now. And our guest earlier in the hour, we heard from uh, Jackie Goldberg. If you missed that, um, I suggest you go to SoundCloud and uh, check out the show. Right now, our two guests are Lillian Mulden, founding board member of Women for Weapons Trade Transparency, and also Janet Abu Ilyas, who is also a founding board member of Women for Weapons Trade Transparency, and she is a research fellow at the Center for International Policy. Uh, Janet, uh, turning to you for a moment, I mean, um, this is Indigenous uh, Month, right? Indigenous History Month. The, the you know the designations that they that they give, even though obviously you know we have to uh, dig deep into that. Not only one month, but throughout the entire year. Similarly, with Black History and Women's History, etc. But looking at just the playbook of what's happening now in Gaza and contrasting that, at least I do, with what the genocide actually that happened with indigenous people um, here in the United States. Uh, but you, uh, uh, you know, have said, uh, you know, and, and uh, money is behind a lot of that. And then there's all this kind of crazy talk about um, we have to protect civilization and therefore, you know, we have we must destroy Hamas and kill all of these as many Palestinian uh, civilians, including children, as as we can. But, Janet, you are, are talk about the intersection of gender and conflict. And we do know that everywhere there is war, everywhere there is occupation, a country is occupied, that a, a lot of uh, you know focus are on the military and the soldiers who die. But we know that in all of these instances, it's women and children who pay the highest price uh, for that. Uh, Janet, just tell us um, about that in terms of what it means for gender, what it means for women and children now living in Gaza, but also on the West Bank, Janet. Yes, of course. Um, thank you so much for touching on um, these intersecting issues. So not only um, are uh, people now in, um, you know, the occupied Palestinian territories uh, facing um you know, colonial violence, but uh, many uh, people, indigenous people have before faced a similar kind of uh, a colonial, colonial violence. And it's out of the very similar, if not the same type of playbook, and it's enacted in very similar ways. Um, and so is the language that's being used to justify um, the murder of uh, people in this way. And the language is very uh, genocidal and very reminiscent of recent movements in history uh, to genocide a whole uh, entire group of people, uh, including, you know, Native Americans, including um, Jews in the Holocaust. It's absolutely um, uh, pivotal that we are aware of language being used uh, to speak about a people and um, not dehumanize them. Uh, and when it comes to women and children, um, of course, there are many issues that women and children face that um, 
other parts of the population do not face, but there's also um, people with disabilities and there's people who, um, you know, need medical equipment or the elderly and other uh, marginalized populations that are having a very hard time right now um, surviving under difficult conditions uh, being set by um, you know, b- under bombardment, uh, which is why it's so important to call for a ceasefire, uh, you know, you know, yesterday, today, before tomorrow, um, because every day that this goes on, it means that women do not, um, you know, cannot, you know, take care of uh, themselves, their children. And honestly, I think it's so important to also acknowledge the men in this conflict, um, uh, of course, you know, like people always will um, talk about the women and children, but I think it's also important to acknowledge the men and the difficulties that they're facing and that, you know, the the men who are working in hospitals right now trying to operate on people under horrible conditions, the men who are going on search missions to bring people out from under the rubble. They're also being put through a lot of um, physical and psychological trauma um, that people don't analyze as much. Um, so when we think about the gender uh, impacts, we also think about how um, they're being perceived and how they're being um, dehumanized in that way as well. So when when the men are not mentioned, it kind of uh, makes it seem as if they're not important or as if they um, deserve to be under bombardment. But yes, thank you so much for that important question. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it, it is true. Obviously, everybody's impacted, uh, right? And and just in terms of the search um, for, for victims, et cetera, um, you know, many of them being men. But uh, frankly, uh, Janet, uh, my experience just covering stuff is a lot of times the impacts on women in particular are, are hidden and, and really are not brought out that when, when water... You don't have water when the lack of food is coming in, when you've got family members who are, who are injured and can't get help anywhere else. That is generally the work, caregiving work that women do for the most part. And in in, a, a, in conflict, that work also uh, increases. But I, I do take your point. Obviously, we can't forget the men were also impacted. Um, Absolutely, Margaret. I I also recently saw an article about um, how it's impacting women um, under bombardment right now, um, and they're having to take menstrual pills to uh, delay their cycles because they don't have access to um, any sort of way to you know, clean themselves or be, have that level of hygiene. So it's really impacting so many different aspects. Right. Okay. You know, looking at the clock here, it's amazing how time flies. There's so much uh, more that we can discuss, but uh, Lillian, just looking at the clock, I also wanted to give you an opportunity to just give us some final thoughts, including uh, some of the things your organization, uh, the Women for Women's Trade Transparency and Research, are suggesting that people do and including how people can get in touch with you and find out more about your organization, also clearly Janet's organization as well. Lillian. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I think final thoughts. Uh, I think that the main 
most important ask at this time, although there are so many asks, um, continues to be for a ceasefire um, and humanitarian assistance. Um, we have to stop the violence immediately. Um, also an arms embargo. We've seen organizations like Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch call for an arms embargo to Israel. Um, and we think that stopping the flow of arms is also obviously a huge factor in stopping the violence and contributing to that very important ceasefire. Um, in terms of what folks can do, we always encourage people to call their representatives. Um, I think that often calling um, does is a little more impactful than emailing. Um, you can call their district office or their Washington, D.C. office. Um, if you look up who represents me, you can find a place to put in your address and find your representatives. Um, protesting as well. It's been incredible to see the political consciousness that has really um, driven people out to the streets in the thousands. Um, and so we, you know, of course, encourage people to continue protesting, demonstrating, speaking out to elected officials on all levels, local, state, national. Um, and in terms of, you know, our organization specifically, if folks are interested in learning more about our work, um, we kind of lie at the intersection of investigative research, and then um, we turn that into advocacy to kind of, you know, find solutions to the policy issues that are are broken and needing to change. Um, if you're interested in learning more, you can go to w. 2t2.org. Um, we are also on Twitter uh, and Instagram at W2T2Impact. Um, and you can learn more about our work there if you are interested. Um, Janet, if you have final thoughts, um, I'll, I'll turn it to yeah, you. Yeah, we, 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 have, we have just about 30 seconds or so. Janet? Yes, um, absolutely. Second, everything Lillian said, um, you know, if you're interested in our work, please check us out on Instagram, you know, we're on Twitter, Facebook, all of those. And um, please, you know, join us in calling for a ceasefire. Right. Well, we'll stay in touch with you, Lillian, Molden, Janet, Abu, Ilias. Thank you so very much for joining us. We are out of time. Yes, thank you. And uh, all the best with your work. Um, before just leaving and, and wrapping up, I also would like to encourage our listeners uh, to check out the International Jewish Anti-Zionist Network, very important organization with all of this, Jewish Voices for Peace, another one, Blacks for Palestine. There, there's so many organizations uh, one can support and uh, also the organizations that have long supported children uh, in uh, Palestine. But we're going to have to leave it there. If you'd like a copy of today's show, contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230. Go online to PacificaRadioArchives.org. I want to thank all of today's guests. I want to thank Eric Gertson from Payday Men's Network for some, some of his tech help today. And of course, Jose Benavides, thank you so much uh, for all of your support and work. Please stay tuned for no more programming on your local Pacifica station. Sojourner Truth will be back on the air next Tuesday. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott, and please stay well and safe.